This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 50th edition of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. I have as my special guest today Bill Hogan. Bill is a former college athletic director at Seattle University. He's also served as a college athletic director at a couple other universities. Bill, uh, before I go further with you, I want to go over some housekeeping things. I want to recognize sure, my Paul. I want to recognize my engineer today, James Gerd. James is the host of uh, the After Dark Show at Rainier Avenue Radio. We have some great things going on in our sports department on the on the World Wide Web at RainierAvenueRadio.world. Uh, we have sports shows hosted by Rick Dupree, Granville Emerson, Renault Laurent host a show called Lidline Sports. Mazvita Marari is a host of uh, Seattle Sports Weekly. Pat McCarthy and Mazvita also co-host a show on the Seattle Metro Sports Conference. And Mark Bryant has a, a fitness-based show. And Juan Cotto and Mike Cobrizi host a new sports show. So a lot of stuff going on here at my uh, Rainier Avenue Radio Sports Department. Uh, we're on the World Wide Web, RainierAvenueRadio.world. Well, let me go back to you now, Bill. Bill Hogan is my guest today. Bill and his wife, uh, Sally, have been uh, personal friends of mine now for about a decade. Bill has a wealth of experience in pretty much all aspects of American college uh, sports. His uh, CV is very extensive. Uh, Bill served from about 2006 through 2016 as the athletic director at Seattle University. He also served about a year at Seattle U as the assistant for vice president for athletic advancement before he left in 2017. Bill has a bachelor's degree, a master's in education, a Ph.D. in educational administration and supervision with an emphasis on sports administration. Do I have that right, Bill? I think you do, but I've been so long ago, but I don't remember exactly what it is. That sounds about right. <laughs> okay, well... You're, you're being <laughs> humble, Bill, but you got your Ph.D. at Bowling Green University in Ohio. Uh, Bill's taught at several Correct. universities. Uh, Bill also served as a head men's basketball coach at one time at St. Joseph's College, Indiana. He's now back at St. Joseph's University as the vice president for advancement. I think Bill started that position about late 2017. Uh, Bill served as the athletic director at St. Joseph's. He was the AD at uh, University of San Francisco for about 15 years, and he had a run at Seattle University for about a decade. Well, Bill, we're going to have a conversation about your career a bit. Uh, college sports matters. Certainly not going to get in everything, but I think we'll have some fun hitting on a variety of topics. And, Bill, I pick your brain over the years, and I've uh, chatted up with you, and I really appreciate you coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. It's a pleasure to be here, Paul. And it was good to visit with you there briefly. I don't get back to Seattle as often. It was my, my favorite city in the world to live, and uh, I only get back there once or twice a year right now. Well, I hope to see you more, and we have a nice tie, and uh, you and I are definitely going to stay in touch. Well, Bill, you have a long career working in American higher education. Why don't you share with us for a minute how you got the bug to want to work in higher education with a focus for so many years in college athletic administration? How would you get that bug as a young person? Interesting. I started at St. Joe. I basically want to be a basketball coach my entire career. I coached a couple years in high school. Then was an assistant coach at Bowling Green. And uh, I kept going to grad school, and I was trying to get a full-time position. I was always part-time there for the most part, and just never never worked out. I just kept going to grad school and ended up with a Ph.D. And then my alma mater, St. Joseph College, where I played basketball, uh, back then in the early 70s, it was university division and college division, and we went to a national championship. Should have won. It still bothers me. <laughs> but we got to the national championship, and... Uh, that was 1974, and I came back in 1981. I was a tenured professor, a basketball coach, and the director of athletics uh, at 20 years of age, and that's kind of when I started. My president at the time, Father Charles Bannett, uh, disappointed me as the, as the athletic director, and 
I've, uh, that's how it kind of got started, uh, way back in, uh, 1982, I think, or 81, 82. And, uh, just, uh, did that for a while with also coaching, but then the three point shot, the shot clock came into play and the winning percentage started going down. So I got frustrated with, it, with the coaching and, and also found I really enjoyed administration. Then the University of San Francisco, the famous Dons, um, they had a major scandal there back in 1983, uh, and it was a violation. They dropped the men's basketball program for about three years. And so I got there in about 1991 and uh, loved it, stayed there for about 15 years, and then got recruited by a search firm to, to come back and uh, to bring Seattle University back to Division One, which no university has ever done that before, which kind of intrigued me, that, that whole concept. And as you know, Paul, we... Met a lot of great people there in the Seattle area, both uh, from the University of Washington and from Seattle U and Steve Looney and, and Dick Baird and all those folks that were just great, uh, great friends. And uh, we had a really, really very successful uh, uh, 10-year career there and, and loved it and enjoyed it tremendously. Yeah, you've, I like how you've kind of been a jack-of-all-trades, Bill, in, in college athletics. You've done a little of everything, and I, it's, it's interesting to learn more about your background. So, Bill, you have, as I mentioned in the introduction, you mentioned a minute ago, you have a master's degree in business education. You also have a Ph.D. Have you found those degrees helpful in your years as a, a college athletic director, those particular degrees? Uh, yes, I enjoyed my education at Bowling Green. Uh, the business education with the master's degree, it uh, gave me a chance to teach business classes, which I really enjoyed doing my entire career. In fact, I was, for my full-time teaching at St. Joe, I taught many classes at the University of San Francisco and Seattle University, including MBA classes, uh, undergraduate business, sports management, master's degree classes. So, yeah, I, I, I thought that having that, the, the PhD was, was really crucial for me to continue to teach what I, I loved doing until about Maybe about six, seven years ago, the, the task of taking the university back to Division One, uh, which I mentioned had never been done before, uh, it was it was a major uh, time-consuming. And so, after about five or six years of, of being a teacher in the Albert School of Business, I decided to uh, to just focus on on rejuvenating the, the Seattle University uh, basketball and, and uh, baseball and soccer's and tracks and fields and swimming and all those sports. So that was my, uh, that was my inclination time. And uh, that was, that was, uh, it was a good, a good time for me. Well, you did a great job at Seattle U and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. This is uh, Paul Schneiderman, host of sports and stuff on Rainier Avenue ready with longtime college athletic administrator, uh, Bill Hogan. So Bill, you're about the third college athletic director. I've had a chance to interview and I've learned more and more that fundraising is a big part of college sports, and uh, I've learned that from getting to know you as well, and, and you've been a good fundraiser. So let me ask him, Bill, can, can a college athletic director who has many talents, say, and working with coaches and students, he or she knows the NCAA bylaws, they know sports, but say the person has a lot of skills as an AD, but they're not a good fundraiser, can that person survive as an athletic director in this era? Uh, it depends on what the university is looking for. I uh, basically think there's there's about four different personality types, and if there's plenty of money in the till and the budget, if if that's not an issue to raise money, then obviously it does not have to be a fundraiser. But there's not that many of those types of programs around. Uh, you see these budgets now in the 150, 180 million dollars. The South 
Southeastern Conference in particular has some really large budgets based on their football program. So those folks, I think, tend to be more managers than, um, than uh, fundraisers. But I think as, as you work your way up to that level, I think fundraising is a key because almost everybody needs money. And I think the donors, what I've noticed, especially now that I've been in this new role as a vice president of advancement here, my alma mater, what, what tends to happen is that the donor wants to be assured that whatever he or she is donating goes to what it's supposed to go to. And so the authority, the, the power, the position of the director of athletics becomes really, really crucial. So, for example, an associate athletic director as a fundraiser may not may not be as successful because the donor wants to be more confident that the person in a higher position can, can actually demonstrate where the money is going to be going to. So I found that, yeah, I think it's pretty true, but I, I do, I've met a lot of athletic directors over the years, and some of them have been highly successful without being, without really being involved in fundraising, although they certainly had a number two person that was. Well, interesting response, but I'm kind of reading between the lines of your question. Let me know, or your answer. Let me know if I'm on the right track. I, I guess if it's a major athletic program at a university that already has a major pre-existing fundraising network, maybe, maybe the athletic director's fundraising abilities is less important. Is that a bad way to break it down? Yeah, and I think it's also uh, a bit of a personality thing. I, As you know, Paul, uh, we spent a few nights out <laughs> in Seattle enjoying the uh, the wonderful Seattle uh, cityscape at times and sure. i think uh, i i just i really enjoyed it i was probably in, in my 35 i my last 25 years of division one athletics i was i was probably out five to seven nights a week and uh, literally and but i always enjoyed it but i also think there's some folks that that's just not their cup of tea and and they prefer a more of a, a more um more stable environment and more stable workload where they, they go eight to five or nine to four nine to six whatever but I always enjoyed uh, the, the night night activities and the, the socializing and the belonging to all the organizations at the clubs. And that just with the uh, uh, I was really I was involved in Northwest Forum <clears throat> there in Seattle for many years, and and I just enjoyed the golf outing there with all my with my buddies. I haven't seen them for about a year and a half or two years, so it was really fun to get back to the Northwest. And, and also, I was really involved in the sports commission there in Seattle and. Enjoyed that also, but uh, uh, Special Olympics was one of my favorite things. Uh, the one-on-one club, uh, all those things. I, I I just really connected with a lot of people in Seattle and, and had a lot of good good relationships and friendships there. Well, no doubt about it, Bill. I mean, you you really uh, – I couldn't get over how many people you got to know in your 11 or so years in Seattle. So, Bill, you know, you mentioned a gentleman at the beginning, uh, Steve Looney. And he's a mutual friend of ours. And Steve sadly passed in 2017. Real larger-in-life guy. Just a great guy. He was a star basketball player at Seattle U in the 60s. Steve's a member of the Seattle U Sports Hall of Fame. And I, I was always honored to be your guy's sidekick at times. And, Bill, tell us a little about Steve. And I know you guys became really good friends. And what did uh, Steve mean to you your years living in Seattle and your years at Seattle U? Well, was interesting is, um, for whatever reason, Al Adels, the um, – the GM and the vice president of the Golden State Warriors. When I moved to San Francisco, I did not know a single person. So Al Adels kind of introduced me to all bunch. I'll never forget that either. He introduced me to a lot of folks in uh, in San Francisco, and I and I really enjoyed that that relationship. And then when I got to Seattle, I knew one person, <laughs> only one, and, uh, and and then I met Steve Looney uh, just uh, through the basketball. 
uh, the, the, the legends, they call the legends now. Right. But uh, it's a basketball group, and, and I met Steve Rooney, and um, we just hit it off. I mean, I can't, and I, what I found about, uh, unique about Steve is, is he was best friends with like about 100 people. Right. <laughs> so they, they all thought he was their best friend, but he just had that unique ability to make, to really connect me with uh, all kinds of people in the community. I've got a lot of friends that were Huskies and uh, Cougars and uh, Puget Sound. And I just, I think Steve was just one of those unique people that, that he was so affable and so friendly and, and he was so sincere that he just, uh, he just helped me, helped me be a lot of people. And, and I was, I really, what I learned in San Francisco, Paul, it took me a lot, a while, because I was basically from Rensselaer, Indiana, a little small, uh, 5,000 population city. And when I got to San Francisco, that was a, that was a huge task, but it took me a while to, to learn how to, uh, meet the centers of influence. And what I, I described it as every, every city, no matter how big or small, there's people that can really make things happen. And it took me a while to learn that in San Francisco, but I think I learned it pretty well. So I, I made a point of reaching out to some of the really key people in the Seattle area when I first got there. And, you know, the people had forgotten. It had been 33 years. You know, San Francisco dropped their basketball team for three years. Well, uh, Seattle University dropped in Division One for 33 years. So there's a huge gap. Uh, we were kind of forgotten uh, from those glory days of Steve Rooney and, of course, Elgin Baylor, I was just with Elgin a couple of weeks ago down in Los Angeles, and we were reminiscing about the, the 1958 team and going to the national championship, and then those great teams in the 60s and the 70s, and, and it all was dropped in 1980. So that that part of just, just meeting lots of people in the Seattle area and having so many friends there that uh, I think they'll be lifelong friends for me at least. And it was just, uh, and I think Steve Rooney played a big role in that. Well, I love that. I just think it's so great. You and I are having a couple minutes to talk about Steve. I would have had him on my show, if, but my show didn't get started about July 2017, and Steve passed a few months before then. So it's fun to, for you and I to have a little to share Steve a little bit with the listeners. Paul Schneider again on sports and stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, longtime college athletic director Bill Hogan. So, Bill, you were uh, the athletic director at St. Joseph's uh, University of San Francisco and CLU, all really good schools. Um, do you think? In some ways, being athletic director at a smaller college versus a Power Five conference can be a little bit more pure and wholesome in some ways. Um, that's kind of a good question. I I think the old days where you kind of worked your way up, even in, in coaching, like that gym that uh, Beeline that just left uh, Michigan to go to uh, the, the pro team, the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, he worked his way up from the high school to small college to a little bit bigger college. It took his way up. And I think in athletic administration, we used to do it that way too. But I think there's more of, um, more folks that go to, if you want to end up at a big, uh, football school, like a Pac-12 school, then you should probably start there. You know, instead of working your way up through, all, through some of the smaller schools and, and division three, then division two, then division one. And I think football makes a huge difference. So I don't, I've, I've been pleased with almost all the administrators I've ever met at, at any level. The University of Washington, I got to know those folks pretty well. Washington State, I just, I've always been impressed with the character of those folks. So, no, I don't think so. I, I think that sometimes you, uh, because a school is a high profile school, when something goes wrong, that becomes more of a media issue. Right. Well, things go wrong in the smaller schools too. I just think they're so few and far between, but, as you know, Paul, when it does happen, it, it has a huge media impact for 
a period of time, and and those things tend to go on for a bit, depending on how serious the whatever the, the situation is. But no, I've uh, I've uh, I've been impressed with the, so many people at uh, that met along the way at all kinds of levels. D three, D two, the highest level. Uh, one of my better friend, best friends is uh, the athletic director at Duke, who was at Notre Dame before that, and. He's as solid as a rock. And uh, he and I went to St. Joe here together, actually, back in the 1970s, he and I and his wife. But but I just, I've always been impressed with a lot of friends that I met through him. And and uh, I don't think so. I, I, I think the one thing that probably we do in my, my three schools, they're all Catholic schools. Right. Uh, obviously, St. St. Joe is a precious blood school. And then San Francisco and Seattle are both Jesuit schools. So I think there's a different uh, uh, culture but uh, I, I just found I, I enjoyed meeting lots of people from all kinds of different different backgrounds and different universities. So it's really kind of case by case. It's what, what's the best fit for a person I, in uh, terms of college sports is kind of what I'm reading through your answer, Bill. So, Bill, when the historians look back, uh, you've done a lot of unique stuff at all the universities you've worked out. So when the historians look back, Bill, and your time at Seattle, do you, what are the one or two things you want to most be remembered for for your time working at uh, Seattle University? Oh, winning with integrity, I think it would be a big thing. We we never had uh, any kind of, uh, you know, everybody has these secondary violations. We never had a major violation. Um, we had exceptional, exceptional student-athletes and coaches who won a lot. Um, I think if you had told me that our coaches and our staff would win, I think it was like 41 championships over a five-year period, Division One championships, I would, if you had told me that in 2006, I'd said you're crazy. <laughs> uh, that's that been impossible to do, but... But they were they were wonderful. They were just we had great camaraderie. Uh, uh, we had we just had people that were special. You know, I can think of so many of the coaches there that it's just had a big impact. Uh, this Julie Woodward and Pete Cooney, of course, in soccer, and and uh, we just we just did we did a lot of things well there with our with our student athletes. And then of course they were they were wonderful young people that were community leaders and truly lived up to the Jesuit ideals of of being a scholar athlete, a student athlete, and. I just, um, I just was very grateful that I had that opportunity. And, you know, when you take something from, um, the transition from Division Two back to Division One, it's a huge task. And I just found it to be very beneficial to take one step at a time and not, not look too far down the road. And then when you get, when you get there, you kind of look back and you're just very grateful for all the wonderful people that helped, helped us do a, a great job there. And so it was fun. And um, I, 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 I've always cherished this, this 10, 10 years there. Well, I, I think uh, if I can shoot from the hip for a minute, it seems to me that you're, the work you did in transitioning Seattle University men's basketball to Division One is certainly a, a big part of your legacy at Seattle U. I don't think you would disagree with that, huh? No, I think uh, it was interesting because um, I just had this thing about recruiting, and I've uh, maybe because I was coaching one time, but I always thought it was helpful to be in the NBA arena uh, to recruit for your college team, to pr- actually practice there and play your games there. I, I learned that from a guy with the Miami Heat. He was a University of Miami head coach, and he recruited a lot better when he had a when he shared the building with the Heat rather than when he had their own campus facility. But and I when I got when I got to Seattle, we had the we had the Sonics, and you know I, I so I started working uh, with all my friends down at the uh, uh, Seattle Center and. And it just it just kind of all came together, and we we had those those really good years there of playing some some pretty competitive basketball, and you know the transition is really hard. For those that don't know, instead of back in the old days, just being a year or two where you could just transition to Division One, 
when we would, when Sally and Rich said it was a five-year uh, process, and during those five years, you're not eligible for the NCAA tournament, which you might imagine, Paul, that doesn't help recruiting, especially in men's basketball. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, so, so it's one of those things where uh, we're playing the games at Key Arena was a real attraction, and it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful facility. I know they're remodeling it for, for hockey right now and hopefully for basketball in the future, but I think that was, that was a, a, a really important moment that we, it, it, we come back to Division One to make as big a splash. Because what you really want to do with Division One athletics is you want to be the, the front porch of your university, the front porch of your house, the house being the university. So Division One athletics gives you a, a, a platform that's unique. And it's, uh, there's nothing like having your school mentioned for making the NCAA tournament and winning, uh, winning an NCAA soccer match or uh, baseball, winning a championship in baseball with Donnie Harrell. Those things were all, all really special moments, and it, it helped elevate the university and within the community. Well, a lot of good stuff uh, you did at Sal Ewan. There's a lot of good stuff going on there right now. Paul Schneiderman again on sports and stuff with uh, former Sal University Athletic Director Bill Hogan. So, Bill, I want to hit on a few uh, kind of juicy topics. we got, what, James, maybe seven, eight minutes left. I want to uh, get kind of get your snapshot take on some uh, heavier topics. So one thing that's in news right now is women's soccer the World Cup's going on, and some of the experts believe that women's soccer really stands out in the U.S. Soccer is not the most popular sport in the U.S. compared to other countries, but a lot of the experts believe that uh, women's soccer is really big in the U.S. compared to many other countries. Uh, do you see the future of college women's soccer getting bigger and bigger, Bill? I think gender equity uh, within uh, back in the 1970s laid the foundation for outstanding women's sports in the United States at the collegiate level. And it's not just, I don't think it's just uh, soccer, but obviously that's the world game. But you can see the the skill level of our, our women's soccer players are far advanced because I think that I go back to Title IX, I was a big supporter of it. I, I always made a point at every college or university that I was at that, that the, the, the equitable treatment of the women's athletes was, was really important to me personally. I had this top of this the other day because we had a, my family went to high school hall of fame back here in Ohio. And my sister actually was the best shooter of all the Hogan kids. So really? Really? Five boys, five boys played basketball and my sister, she didn't have a team. She couldn't play back in the sixties. The, the and uh, I just, I was given this, this, I was made, I would ask me to make a speech for the family and, and it just, it just resonated with me that she didn't have a chance that so many young women have opportunities now. And, and I'm just I'm thrilled to see the success. And the other thing I, I will say this, Paul, is I noticed, and I've been an athlete for 35 years, I noticed that as soon as the fathers figured out that their, their daughter could get a full scholarship in athletics, they, they, they spent a lot of time uh, helping the, the young person develop athletically. In fact, a lot of them got into coaching. How many times you run into a soccer coach at one of those club teams that never played soccer, but he got he got involved in soccer because his daughter was playing. Great point. So I think I think that's I think it's just been a blessing. I think we're so far advanced from from probably every other country in the world just because we had Title IX and it had a huge positive impact and and uh, thank God for for that and, and the impact it's had on our women's sports teams. Well, I see that too in my little circles. A lot of dads that have uh, daughters playing sports, they really get more excited about women's sports, and I, I think it'll have some long-lasting effects. Well, Bill, we got a couple minutes left. I can't believe how, thing, how fast these, these, uh, these conversations uh, go. Uh, 
Bill, this is a big topic, and the whole issue of compensating student athletes is one of those just you know really big debates. And there's been some partial victories for those supporting pay for student athletes. I mean, the Ed O'Bannon case came down a couple of years ago, or his rule, the NCAA ban on compensating athletes uh, for commercial use of their names and so forth as antitrust violation. Another case came down, Alston, that the NCAA cannot limit compensation or benefits related to education for certain athletes, Division One men's players, women's basketball players, I think both subdivision football players. Just any general thoughts, Bill, on these cases and just sort of that whole sure. topic of paying athletes? I mean, what? In, any? do you have any uh, unique insights on this, Bill? Yeah, I think back in the old days, and Steve Lynn and I used to talk about this because he had several teammates um, from L.A. and so forth that, that really couldn't afford to go out and buy a hamburger. You know, you just had a, a room board, room board tuition books and fees. It was all the full scholarship was at one point. And I think what's happened lately, in, in a good way, is that now you have the Pell Grant, which if you're if you're financially uh, disadvantaged, that's going to be seven eight thousand dollars a year. You also have the uh, the, the new uh, uh, um, the scholarships can be uh, greater than the actual room board tuition books and fees. It's called the cost of living, There's, and that that depends on what school you're at, what university. You're at, but that's a, that could be additional money. And I, I do think that just there's so many advantages now that there's no longer a financial burden for the student athletes like it used to be back in the '60s and '70s and '80s. So you know, I'm, I'm I never will be in favor of, of paying student athletes. I, that's one of the reasons, just because I think they're taken care of pretty well now. But then you have to figure uh, what sports. I mean, is your is your tennis team less important than your baseball team or your basketball team and and I it can get to be very expensive at some point so I uh, no I'm not in favor of never have been never will be I, I think that there's some of those compensation things that um, you know I've heard all the arguments well that, that particular jersey sells a lot but but you get a free education that can last a lifetime I mean those we all we all know that a four-year college degree is, has a big impact on, on the individual for the rest of them. I think the the average income is like over a million dollars more if you go if you get a four-year degree versus if you don't go to college. So you also have to think about that as, from a long-term perspective. But yeah, I, I'm one of those that uh, that will never never agree with that. But I understand, I understand how years ago, decades ago, where it, where it was more of a more of a trying period for some student athletes. Well, Bill, we got less than a minute left. I'd love to have more of a back and forth on you on all these subjects, but these interviews go so quickly. Uh, tell us a little bit about your work at St. Joseph's and what's in the future for Bill Hogan. We got less than a minute left. Yeah, very quickly. Um, it's my alma mater. It's, it's a wonderful old Catholic college in the middle of nowhere, literally halfway between uh, Chicago and Indianapolis, and it's in a special location, very remote. And uh, they did what many other schools have done. They kind of struggled financially, and we suspended operations back in 2017. And then uh, the chairman of the board was a classmate of mine. He just asked me if I would come back and kind of help revive it. And here's what's interesting is I mentioned earlier that no one's ever gone back to Division One from Division Two before, and uh, no one's ever come back from suspension before. So it's one of those huge challenges that I've, I'm enjoying. I'm getting a chance to see some old friends. It's been it's been 25, 26 years that I've I've had much communication with them, but it's been enjoyable. I've uh, I've had to adjust to uh, living in rural Indiana after living in uh, the great city of Seattle, but I I think I'm doing okay. I uh, I go back and forth. My wife mostly she still lives in Seattle, so she she goes back and forth more than I. So I should come here on Friday, and that's probably the only downside. Just uh, 
Bill, hate to cut you off. We, I really, we, we got to end the interview. I really enjoyed our conversation. Stay in touch. Thank you, Paul. You take care. Take care. See you.